Um, now, the fact that you're here means you've never had a last meal, per se. But I'm sure many of us have had a last meal in the sense of, like, before you do something where you know you're not going to get, a, you know, good food for a while. So I'm thinking, for example, when I went on the West Coast Trail and you know, the night before, we had to leave early the next morning, and the night before you leave, you know it's your last time eating real food for a week, because for a week, you're going to be eating dehydrated, you know, backpacking food, which, as good as it tastes when you're hungry on the trail, just is not the same. And so you try to make those meals something special. And, um, and I have a, a very good wife, who cooked me good food both right before I left and right after I got back um, because she understood this. And I'm, I'm sure many of us have been in that place where there's something about to happen and you think, you know what, I'm going to make sure that before this happens, I eat well. Um, we're joining Jesus in the series we're in right now for his last meal. And not just his last meal before he does something like backpacking for a week, but his last meal, period. The last time he's going to eat. And um, last week we started this out and we talked about how he knows this. He's not surprised. It's not like it's his last meal, but he never saw that coming. Um, He's fully aware of what is about to happen. And I want to give us the context of the story again before we get into our verses for today. So they sit down. It's the Passover festival. They're all Jews, and so this is a very big deal because they're spending this time remembering when they became a people, when God rescued them out of Egypt. And the Passover meal is not what you would normally think of as a feast. You're eating boiled lamb and um, flat, like unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And you're supposed to eat them kind of in a rush, symbolically, because that was the, what they were remembering. They were remembering their people in Egypt, and the Lord had said, I'm going to, like, tonight, I rescue you. You are leaving quickly in the morning. So eat with your robes tied up. Eat standing, not sitting down. Make sure you eat everything. You're not taking leftovers with you, right? And so when they come to this festival, they, they reenact all of these things. And so this is the meal they're sitting down to. And as they come in to eat this meal, Jesus kicks off the whole thing by stooping down and washing their feet. And then he talks to them about how he is going to be betrayed. He tells them, one of you, one of my closest companions, one of the 12 people who knows me the best is going to betray me into the hands of the Romans and I'm going to die. Um, and the one who is going to do this, Judas, leaves. And when Judas leaves, they start their dinner conversation. And that's where we pick up today with the first thing Jesus says as they sit down for their last meal and actually start their conversation. Now, he said a few things before because he's talking about washing feet and he's talking about Judas betraying him. But this is him Like, this is their conversation that they're going to have now, and he's getting into it. And so we're in John chapter 13. We're in verses 31 to 35. They're going to be on the screen, but if you like to have them in front of you, go for it. And I'm going to ask you to stand again. Um, 
Just as we stand to sing our praises and worship to honor God, we stand to honor His Word. It's the best thing you're going to hear from me this morning. Um, and God is so good to have given this to us. So verses 31 to 35, when He was gone, so when Judas had left, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will glorify the Son in Himself and will glorify Him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your glory and your love. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and all that he has and continues to do for us. We ask that you would come and be present and open our eyes and ears to your gospel this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Jesus has a habit of using familiar language in strange ways. Um, sometimes we miss this, though, because it's the Bible, and we start reading it, and we're like, oh, that's just weird. But he starts off talking about glory. Now is the time for glory is effectively what he says. Now is my moment. And um, while most of us go through life without ever using that exact kind of language where we say, this is it, it's time for glory, we are familiar with that kind of language, mostly thanks to Hollywood. Um, we've all seen some or several war movies, battle movies, where you're heading to that final, that, like, the... the climactic battle, and you don't know if the good guys are going to win or not, and usually they're terribly outnumbered and outgunned, and it looks like, you know, the slimmest of chances, and the commander gets up to give his big speech, and he's like, victory or death, right, for the glory of Rome. We're going to show them, you know, they can take our lives, but they can never take our freedom. Um, you know, pick your favorite movie speech, and as they head into that, it's like, this is it. This is the moment of glory. We are going to show them what we are made of. Live or die, this is where we put it all out. This is where we go all in. Whatever happens, this is, this is our time, right? Um, and we're familiar with that, right? This is a, it's like we get that. We get what they're saying. None of us would want to be there. None of us would want to be on that hill making that charge against way more people than us and hoping that somehow we pull it all together, um, but it's a concept we're familiar with. Now, here's Jesus, and he's using that kind of language. But what's about to happen? Like, think about the rest of the story. They're sharing their last meal, and before the night is over, armed soldiers are going to come and arrest Jesus. And one of his followers, Peter, who probably had all of those things in mind when Jesus says, now's the time for glory, whips out his sword and cuts off a guy's ear. Now, I don't know if that was because he was trying to be like, give him a warning, or if he was just a really bad swordsman and he was aiming for something else nearby. Um, but Jesus says, put, a, put your sword away. 
and he heals the person who's lost his ear. And I've always wondered about that too. Did he pick up the piece and put it back or did he grow a new one and there was the ear on the ground? But either way, he says, put your sword away. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. This is not the way I'm going to do this. And he lets himself be arrested. He doesn't call on all of his disciples and say, now's the time. Get out all your weapons, you know, whatever you've got, staff and club and tree branch, and let's make this happen. Um, he says, no. And they all run away. One of them runs away naked. The soldiers try to catch him, and all they get are his clothes. Um, and, and Jesus lets them take him. And he goes before court after court, and he gets tortured, and he gets convicted. And he says, he says, I could call down legions of angels if I wanted to. That would be glory, wouldn't it? But he doesn't. He goes up on the cross. Well, he goes up like it was his choice. He gets nailed to and hung on the cross, the worst form of execution the Romans could come up with, and they were pretty creative about these things. He's humiliated, he's defeated, he's put on display for all the world to see in his shame and in his loss. And the sign above his head mocks him, here is the king of the Jews. This is what Romans do to these kind of upstarts. Now, how is that the time for glory? That doesn't fit the mold, the, the way that we think of this at all. I Amy's mean, fine if you go for glory and you don't win. At least you, you fought till the bitter end, right? But he doesn't even put up a fight. So how can he say, now is the Son of Man glorified? How does this work? He's using this familiar language in a very strange position. But think back to, as I was talking about, those moments of kind of the final battle and what we're thinking of when we think about glory. You say, you know what, victory or death, we are going to show them what we're made of. And that's actually a very accurate way to think about glory. To show your glory is to show the heart of your goodness, of your greatness, of what you stand for. Whatever the cost, you're going to die on this hill and you display your glory. Now, if you are a commander, an army, and you're fighting for the freedom of your nation or for your rights or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, then going to battle, rank after rank of armed soldiers killing one another, that works because the way lines up with the message. That's okay. But what happens if you're standing before a crowd shouting, crucify him? rank upon rank of armed soldiers coming after you, and what you stand for is them. What if it's the enemy army that you're out to save? Well, then you can't call all of your followers and all of your legions of angels in their flaming chariots to come and destroy the enemy because you will have destroyed the very thing you wanted to save. And you won't have displayed your glory. You will have destroyed that too. And so that path is not open to Jesus. But Jesus does do exactly what he says he's going to do. Now 
is the Son of Man glorified. The rest of this story is Jesus taking his stand on that hill and dying for what really matters, victory or death, and in this case, it's both. Because what really matters to him is all of us. What really matters to him are all of those people who were shouting, crucify him, destroy, he's our enemy. The glory of God is his gracious, forgiving, merciful, compassionate love for all of his creation, especially his sons and daughters of the human race. And so, in all the stories we love, the soldiers stand up, outnumbered, outgunned, and they snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. But Jesus looks upon all of those who would cry out to kill him, and he doesn't see the enemy there. He sees the enemy behind them, the enemies of sin and death and evil. And he has to fight a greater battle, and he cannot snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. He has to snatch victory from the very belly of defeat. He has to go all the way in because he has to defeat death, and therefore he has to die. And he has to let those rank upon rank of his enemies seem to win. Because that's what it looks like when you're dying on a cross. It looks like Rome has won and Jesus has lost. That's the message that Rome is always trying to tell with the crucifix. Jesus was far from the only one who died on a cross. They lined their roads with crucified insurrectionists. But three days later, he rises from the dead having defeated the real enemy that he was after, the real enemy who enslaves all of us so that we could be set free from sin and from death and from evil. Jesus, the Lord of all creation, bearing all authority in heaven on earth, the rightful king over each of us and over all things, lays aside everything he has for our sake that we might live. And that's the glory of God. And then from the belly of death itself, from the depths of Hades, he rises again in victory. And not victory over the crowd that shouted crucify him, but victory for the crowd. Not victory over the king or the prelate who condemned him, but victory for them over sin and death and evil. And that's what Jesus means when he says, now is the Son of Man glorified and God glorified in him. Now we see what God really stands for. And I know there are many of us in this room who have a very different image of God than that. So I want us to dwell on this for a minute. I love, I'm a pastor, right? So you talk to people and one, you meet someone, and one of the earliest questions they ask you is, what do you do? And so I say, I'm a pastor. And depending on who I say that to, you can get a couple different reactions. Um, but one of the ones you get is something along the lines of, oh, I don't believe in all that God stuff, right? And I usually ask the question, okay, well, which God don't you believe in? And by the time they're done answering, I can almost always say, yeah, I don't believe in that God either. And then they look at me like I'm crazy <laughs> because I told them I'm a pastor, 
Um, but a lot of us have a picture of a God who is very different than the one Jesus displays. A God who just has bigger guns, and greater judgment and more power. Um, and you know what? He does have more power. It's not wrong, but this is how he chooses to use it on our behalf in sacrificing himself. Now is the Son of Man glorified. After he says that, he looks at his disciples and he says, my children, I'm not going to be with you for much longer. I'm leaving and you can't follow me. And he's concerned, and we're going to see this as we keep walking through this dinner with him, that they not get lost in his absence. Because it's easy to do. What they're about to see doesn't match any of their stories, right? Any more than it matches ours. They weren't looking for a crucified Messiah. We aren't either. And so he's trying to give them warning. He's trying to say, I'm telling you this now so you know. And when I'm gone, this is what you have to do. And he once again uses familiar language in a strange way. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. Wait, what? That's a new command? Pretty sure that's not a new command. Pretty sure that's all over the Old Testament. These guys are Jews, right? So they've lived with the Torah and the Ten Commandments and all of these things. And Leviticus tells us to love our neighbor. And it tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus himself is asked the question by religious authorities and lawyers, what does the law mean? How do you summarize it? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So how can he now say, a new command I give you, love one another, right? Like the Beatles had it right all along. Um, familiar words, why is it new? Love one another. And then he says what makes it new, as I have loved you love one another. Oh, now that's a lot harder because what's he about to do? He's about to die for them because he loves them. That's what he's done for each of us in this room. He's died for us because he loves us. Jesus is not saying to his disciples, make sure you have lots of warm, fuzzy feelings for each other. Love is often emotional, but it's not an emotion. Jesus is not saying, be really good Canadians exemplify politeness, apologize lots, and be kind. Those are good things, right? Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not love. Love goes so much farther than that. He has started to show them what it means by washing their feet, by humiliating himself to do the lowest, most humiliating, dirty task that he can to show them how much he loves them. And he will bring that to completion by dying for them on the cross. And what he says to them is not just, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He also says, this is how people will know you're mine. Right? Go back to that analogy we had at the beginning, not even an analogy, but that picture of a, of a battle, right? And your, your commander stands up and he says, now's the time for glory. And how do you know you're with him? Because you charge. Because you join him in facing victory or death in putting it all on the line to go and fight that battle. And anybody who isn't in that group or who doesn't charge when the commander says charge, you're not actually with him. You're not his. You've chosen to defect in some way or other, or you're just not, you know, you're not a soldier and you're not out there. Um, 
Jesus has talked about glory, and he says, you want to know how you know you're with me? Love like this. Love like this. That's what it means to follow him up that hill, to make that charge, to display the glory of God in our lives. And that's hard, and none of us get it perfect. Don't make any mistake there. Um, But Jesus will, over the course of the rest of this dinner, make sure that his disciples and we, as we walk through this, understand that we don't have to do that on our own. Part of the gospel is that Jesus dies on the cross so that we can be free, so that we can be freed from sin and death and evil. But the other part of the gospel is that Jesus rises from the dead, ascends into heaven, and sends his Holy Spirit to us so that we can be free to, so that we can be free to walk in the way of God, to know the love of God and experience it for ourselves, to know that we are accepted, that we are beloved children of God who he wants to be with. And we can be empowered so we can be free to love one another. God doesn't leave us hanging, having taken off our chains, but leaving us with atrophied muscles because we've been in prison for so long. He comes and gives us new life. And we're going to talk about that as we continue too. The question for today is, are you with Jesus? Now is the time for glory. Are you with Jesus? Love one another as I have loved you. Are you with Jesus? It's the nature of Jesus' victory that it cannot be imposed upon us. If it could have been imposed, he probably would have called down those legion of angels. But he had to free us to choose him. He had to disarm the powers that stand behind our broken world and give us the opportunity to come to him for new life, for reconciliation and relationship and healing and all of the things that we need. I know there are many in this room today who are already disciples of Jesus, who are already followers, who are doing our best to to imperfectly obey his commandments. Um, But if you were here this morning and that's not you, you're not a disciple of Jesus and you're not sure whether or not you're with him, then I would urge you to consider what we've talked about this morning, the glory of Jesus, what that means and who God is the God who longs to be with you, to be known by you and to know you and to work in power in your life to bring about good things. Consider the calling of Jesus to follow him. And if as you do that, you want to respond, then do so. And there's different ways you might want to respond to that. It may mean that this morning you're curious and you want to find out more. Awesome. Find out more. Um, Come talk to me, come talk to anyone you've seen up here, start reading the Bible. We're in the Gospel of John, you may want to see where this goes. Great, pick it up. If you don't have a Bible, we're happy to give one to you. Um, Don't leave without taking a next step in that curiosity. It may mean that you start coming here to find out more. We meet every Sunday at 10, so join us. Um, It may mean you need to talk to someone because you've got questions. Maybe this isn't all new for you, but something about what's going on in your heart and mind this morning, you're thinking, I need to check this out. Come talk to somebody. It may mean that you're at a point of decision and there comes points of decision in our life and around Jesus, at some point, there is one. Are you with him or not? Do you follow him or not? Give him your allegiance or move on. And if you're there, either wrestling with a decision or ready to make one, 
please come and talk to someone. We want to pray with you. We want to equip you. We want to walk with you. For now, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your glory. Thank you for who you are and that you are for us. Thank you for your goodness and for all you've given for us. Deepen our understanding of the cross, of your glory and of your love. Equip us to follow you. For anyone here this morning who's, who's in a place of wrestling or questioning or curiosity, meet them in that. I pray that you would speak to them. I pray that you would do awesome things in their life, that it would be surprising and cool and interesting. Um, and I do pray for new life where it's needed, in those of us who already know you and in those of us who don't. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.